Okay, so parenting is a daunting task. I think maybe you would all agree. Um, People seek counseling for parenting issues when things don't go exactly as they had hoped. This past year, I was asked to counsel a pretty young child who was convinced that she was part of the LGBTQ movement. Um, This child had been captured by what seems to be Satan's main tool nowadays, the internet. However, it soon became clear that she wasn't desiring biblical counsel. She kind of she, she liked to get together, but she wasn't desiring the things of God and not interested in the things of God. However, her godly mother surely did need counsel, this parent. So God has made us parents such that there's little in life that we care more about or that's more important to us than these precious little ones. Um, But sometimes parents feel and oftentimes are unprepared for the task. So how can we, as biblical counselors, help these parents in this area of raising up children? It seems like it's so complicated. There are so many things one can do wrong. There are so many voices telling us, do it this way, this is the right way. It's, in, in addition, it's a constant and laborious task, the task of care- parenting. So how can we help parents navigate this area? Well, we are going to try to help you by simplifying what parents need to know into four areas the source, the problem, the goal, and the method. Okay, so let's talk about the source. That is, what source of information can we reliably turn to in counseling parents? We're the parents of four children, now all adults. And when we began our parenting journey, we were not really familiar with what God said about parenting. Um, Though we were Christians, we didn't understand that Scripture is not only relevant for life, but is sufficient for life and godliness, and that includes parenting. Now, we, we certainly wanted to do what was right, and we were committed to doing whatever necessary to raise our kids well. So after dabbling in public and Christian schools, we opted to homeschool. We, we jumped in with both feet. We read books. We listened to lectures. We attended homeschool conferences. And some of the things we were into, if it sounds familiar to any of you, uh, Growing Kids God's Way, Doug Phillips and Vision Forum, The Family Integrated Church, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. We were searching for a formula that would guarantee godly, righteous, and successful children. And looking back, much of what we were taught and got involved in had good and right aspects. For example, it's good for a father to lead his family in, in family worship. But we can see now that much of what we were learning and much of what we did was actually legalistic. That is, it went beyond what the Bible says is our job as parents. We made rules and were pridefully confident that what we were doing was what God wanted us to do. But we were listening to voices that in many cases were going beyond what the Bible says is our duty. Family worship is good, but to say that Every father should do family worship or he's wrong is legalistic. That is, it's going beyond what the Bible says is our actual duty. Instead of searching the scriptures to see what we should do, we were listening to the ideas of others and putting the truth of those ideas on par, in many cases above, the validity of the Bible itself. I think you'll find some parents that you're counseling doing the same thing. So there's many voices proclaiming truth in this area, right? (laughs) We we know this. Like other common issues like marriage problems or anxiety, there's no shortage of opinions on what is true and or helpful. But what we in many cases missed, and what we as biblical counselors want to teach parents, is that the Bible is in fact sufficient to guide us in the task of parenting. And some verses that You've heard before, and you'll hear again anytime you go to a biblical counseling conference. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says that all scripture is breathed out by God 
and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. The Bible is, in fact, the source where truth in this area of parenting can be found. 2 Peter 1, 3 talked about countless times already in this conference, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We can trust scripture in this area because it is God speaking to us and has everything we need to be faithful in this task of parenting. So if we want to know what is valid, reliable, true source of information and guidance in parenting, we should look no further than God's word. Now, we're not saying that you shouldn't look to other sources like parenting books to help with this task of parenting, but anything that is said in any of those sources should be based on Scripture. Like a good Berean, we're going to want to help parents to search the Scriptures to be sure that what is being said is actually based on the Bible, regardless of the source. And any directive that is proposed should be held up to the light of Scripture to see if the Bible actually says it is true. So help parents understand that while there are countless voices out there claiming to be authoritative in the area of parenting, it is only the words of Scripture that are God's inspired words of instruction in parenting. That's the source parents should be looking to in order to please God in their parenting. Okay, so if that's the source, well, what is the problem? As we look to raise up these young ones, what is, their, what is the child's greatest need? Teresa will talk about some wrong answers to that question. Yes, so we're moving on to the next area, the problem, as Dave said. So what does a child, what is their greatest problem and what is their greatest need? If we don't diagnose the problem correctly, then we won't have the correct solution. Dave likes to compare it to medical care. If he misdiagnoses the problem, he'll always give the wrong treatment. Not that he ever does that or ever has does that, but, <laughs> but we can start out at looking at some of the world's approaches to the task of parenting. Though some of these approaches might be helpful, Others of them might be harmful because they actually oppose the God's truth spoken to us in scripture. So as you counsel parents, you're going to see some of these different approaches and their philosophies. So let's look at some of these common approaches and see if we can determine from the solution offered what they believe that the child's problem is. The first is self-esteem. <clears throat> Excuse me. Many parenting approaches teach parents to raise their children's self-esteem or self-love. They claim that an increase in self-love will solve all of their emotional and behavioral problems, or at least a lot of them. This, of course, is emphasized everywhere in culture. Our own YMCA, where Dave and I work out sometimes, a Christian organization, we like it, it's a nice place, but there are colorful posters, huge ones everywhere that say things like, you are amazing, you need to feel empowered, it's all about you. Well, this type of parenting where we focus on doing whatever we can to raise their self-esteem actually teaches already selfish kids to think that they're justified in wanting their own way. And self-esteem and self-love is one of those opposing to God's truth principles or approaches. It's the opposite of what our true state is, total depravity. It reinforces what they already struggle with, selfishness. So what is the child's greatest need implied here? It's low self-esteem. That's their greatest problem. And the, their greatest need then is to increase their self-esteem. So it's saying that they need to think more highly of themselves than they already do. Does the Bible teach this? No, it does not. It teaches that the heart is desperately wicked and in need of regeneration. 
God tells us in Romans 1, as he says, those without God are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossipers, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Does that sound like somebody who has a self-esteem problem? No, that sounds like somebody with a wicked heart. And like it or not, that's what we all have along with our precious children. <clears throat> so that is the self-esteem approach to parenting. Secondly is the hands-off approach. So this was one of the types of homeschooling. So we homeschooled our kids. So I might pick on homeschooling just a little bit, but that's only because we were in it and experienced it, but we don't have any problem with homeschooling <laughs> at all. But this is where I, I pick on it because we were there. But we saw some of the approaches were, it, it was called unschooling. And it was basically letting your child do whatever they wanted and not forcing them to do anything. There, there was actually a preschool in town when we, our kids were little and we were looking for a preschool that had that philosophy as well. The assumption here is that children are inherently good and we just need to leave them alone so that the natural goodness is not impeded by our efforts to teach them. So what does this approach see as the child's greatest need? Here, they don't really see that the, pro the child has a problem. Their greatest need is to be left alone, be autonomous, so their natural goodness can flourish. <laughs> After we just read that Romans passage, so. But the Bible tells us that folly is bound up in the heart of their child but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs twenty two fifteen. So the Bible says that folly, not goodness, is the natural state of our children. If less left to themselves, it is disastrous for a child. So that's the hands-off approach to parenting. Thirdly, we have the behaviorism approach. So this approach ignores the biblical heart and focuses only on the fruit of the child. Though discipline for wrongdoing is part of the parent's responsibility, simply controlling their external behavior does not address their true character. It's directed at outward behavior change by threat of punishment and controls the behavior of their child. Oftentimes, but not always, but oftentimes it's really the, the motivation for the parent might even be for themselves to look good. But um, sometimes they, they think that they're doing good for the child. But this, when it's just focused on outward behavior, is called behaviorism. And you can see with these children that when no authority figure is present, then they tend to act out of their wicked heart and the depravity of their heart is not addressed. So what is the child's greatest problem implied in this approach? Bad manners or bad behavior is seen as the main problem. The child's greatest need is good behavior. And this approach completely ignores what underlies that behavior, the biblical heart. It, this approach threatens to train little hypocritical Pharisees. So that's the behaviorism approach. And the final approach that I'll talk about is isolation. Again, this is a tempting one for homeschooling parents, I know, since, since we were there. Um, isolating children from every bad influence is not a biblical approach either. Though certainly there is much that our children should be shielded from, especially when it comes to the internet. The child that I mentioned earlier and in the introduction was greatly harmed by her unfettered access to the internet as a young child. However, when parents seek to isolate their children from all forms of 
entertainment, music, children of unbelievers, neighborhood kids, competitive events. The list goes on and on. In order to protect their child from evil influences, they don't teach them to be wise. There are many proverbs that address the naive, and they're spoken of in the negative. And we can't keep our children shielded forever from the world. And even if we could shield them forever from the world, they still have their own sinful flesh. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this, of course, will give rise to sin, even if they have no outside influences. So what is the child's greatest need implied in this approach? It's protection, and they, they need protection from the evil of the world. I think Dave and I can relate to each of these approaches, and at various times in our own parenting, we took on some of these. I think sometimes we bounced around, but we could relate to all four of those. When parents are not grounded in a biblical worldview that the Bible is sufficient and practical for training you as a parent, then it's very difficult not to be captivated by these irreverent and silly myths, as 1 Timothy 4.7 puts it. So if these examples of the wrong view, what is the biblical view of the child's greatest need? Dave will answer that. Okay, so the biblical view of the problem here, if we, if we looked at a, we've now looked at a few ways that uh, parents approach that task of parenting and the implied thought behind them. What does the Bible say is our child's main problem? Well, the Bible says that it is the same problem we're all struggling with, right? This is pretty obvious here for you, and that is sin. Every prospective parent should understand this. We have to understand the child's true potential. Do you ever say that? My child has potential. You think, wow, this is great. Well, here's what John MacArthur says about a child's true potential. Every child comes into the world with an insatiable appetite for evil. Even before birth, the human heart is programmed for sin and selfishness. Humanity's relentless penchant for every kind of depravity is such that given free reign, Every baby has the potential to become a monster. Why don't you post that in the church nursery, huh? <laughs> I think that might not be a bad idea, honestly. It might be a little shocking. But the fact is, this is not how we want to think about our kids, right? They seem so innocent and sweet, especially when they're first born, they're little babies. But this is what the Bible says about all of us. We are utterly depraved. And it starts before we're even born, as David talks about in Psalm 51, right? Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Children are dead in their trespasses in sin and are by nature children of wrath, as Ephesians 2 says. Every child comes into the world with a propensity to do evil and cannot please God. Romans 8, 8 says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Adam's fall tainted the entire human race with sin, and that includes our children. So we can say with biblical authority that our child's greatest problem is sin. Well, if that's our child's greatest problem, then what is the solution to that problem? What is every child's greatest need? It's what? It's be reconciled to God. It's regeneration, right? Ephesians 2.4 says, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Like every unbeliever, they need to be brought from death to life. The top priority of every parent is to be an evangelist to their children. Their job is to teach them the law of God and their need for a Savior. And we need to keep in mind that genuine faith is only given by God. Children's salvation is between them and God. But parents are called to exalt Christ and to point their children to him. Okay, so we've talked about a source of information. We've talked about the problem. Let's move on to the next topic then, the goal of parenting.
Okay. Yeah, with the nursery thing, we have to be careful, too. I, I had um, one of my daughter's friends just had a baby, and she was a biblical counseling major, so I thought she would think it was funny when I said, oh, what an adorable little reprobate. But I, I, don't, think, I, think she, I don't think that was the right time. <laughs> I like, never heard anything back. I was like, oh, no. And I later, her, cute, 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 heart, 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 heart. heart. <laughs> okay. So the goal, okay, so we've established the source of truth and parenting, and we understand the problem. So let's talk about the goal of parenting. What is a legitimate and doable goal when it comes to the task of being a parent? What are some common goals of parents? Does close family come to mind? I think we came up with these because these were our goals a good behavior, a happy child, a successful child, that they can be protected from bad influences, that we want them to feel loved, fill up their love tank. Dave will continue. <laughs> Y'all have any other goals of parenting that either you or that you've seen in other their parents great athletes been there high ACT yeah hmm. what's that coming out the other side of life is that just <laughs> alive yes okay yes for sure that's always a good goal for sure goodness especially when they get to be teenagers and start driving yep Okay, yeah, that's good. Well, as we talk about these, most of these uh, are not inherently wrong, right? Um, close families, good behavior, successful children, high ACT scores. They're, they're good desires, right? But the question is, should they be the goal of parenting? It's certainly not wrong to pursue those types of things in how we parent, but are they legitimate biblical goals? What about saved children? Is that a legitimate goal? Okay, all right. Well, we raised four children, and they're all in their 20s now. By God's grace, they're all walking with the Lord. Has that been our doing? Of course, the answer is that it is not. <laughs> it is only by God's grace that anyone is saved. Ephesians 2 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, right? We would certainly boast if it was about us, right? But the, we may not boast. It's not our work. We are not capable as parents to raise up godly kids. God saves people. Therefore, that can't be our goal, right? As you said, it's not an attainable goal. What then is the goal? Okay, let's pause here for a moment and acknowledge something. Parents don't own their children. We commonly refer to children as our kids or my son or daughter, but ultimately we understand that our kids don't belong to us. Parents have been entrusted by the Lord with these little humans just for a season. They are given instruction in how to care for them, as we'll talk about shortly, but they belong to God. Parents are God's ambassadors, right? Hired for a season to do a job. They're under the authority of and represent the one who owns those children. Whenever parents discipline or instruct, they are representing God's ownership as they carry that out. So given that God owns them and God being who he is, who is sovereignly in control of the children? Are parents capable of completely controlling how their kids turn out? Of course not. Does what they do affect how their kids turn out? Of course it does. So where does that leave us in terms of our goal as a parent? Well, think of an ambassador of a country. What is their charge, their goal in representing their country? Well, he or she must be must faithfully carry out the instruction of the country who sent him and represent that country to foreign nations, right? to instruct and represent. 
In the same way, parents as ambassadors of God must faithfully carry out God's instructions found in his word and then faithfully represent him to their children. So we propose that the actual goal of parenting is this, faithfulness. The biblical goal of parenting is to faithfully carry out God's instructions as laid it out in his revealed word and represent God, albeit imperfectly, so that we can be a picture of Christ-like living. There's only been, ever been one perfect father, there's only been one perfect son, and ain't, it ain't us, huh? Like our children, we are fallen sinners. That's God and Jesus, by the way, in case you didn't catch that. Like our children, we are fallen sin- sinners doing our best to muddle through this fallen world. We often fail. Don't we know it? If you're a parent, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. We often fail. But the goal here is faithfulness. It is not successful, happy, smart, saved kids. We can't make that happen. Only God can. Nothing wrong with those things. They're great desires. But ultimately, we can't make those things happen. They can't be the goal. So help parents understand that what pleases the Lord is faithfulness. And Kyle often likes to say, in in lots of settings, the goal is faithfulness, not perfection, right? We can get very perfectionistic when we're parents. The goal is faithfulness. We want to be faithful. We might put it like this, as it says in Stuart Scott's book, The Faithful Parent. We are to be faithful to God's word by his grace and for his glory. How's that for a goal? To be faithful to God's word, word by his grace and for his glory. Now, there is a goal that is attainable, right? And can you see how useful that is? As, as we look to be God's ambassadors in parenting our children, the goal is faithfulness. Regardless of our situation or how our children respond or how they turn out, we can still please God by being faithful. Okay, so then this then begs the question, what does biblical faithfulness look like? I'm going to go get the books while you're talking. Got them last time, too. Okay, go fast. My part is short. <laughs> okay. Okay, so we've looked to the source. God, it's inspired word. We understand the problem is sin. Their greatest need is regeneration. Oh, good. I thought you had to go all the way downstairs. Okay. <clears throat> and the goal is faithfulness. So now we can move on to see how God instructs parents. We want to know what the Bible says about parenting and then faithfully do what God says. Dave will explain Ephesians 6, 4. If you want to, you can turn there, but I am going to read it. It's one of the few Bible passages that directly addresses parents, and we will want to use it regularly in counseling. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And Dave will explain that we can deduct that parents have two basic responsibilities, and he'll go into it, discipline and instruction, and one caution, do not provoke them to anger. Okay, so um, the first directive is to discipline our children. It says, discipline and instruction of the Lord, or to bring them up in that. And the Greek word for the discipline is paideia. It has this basic idea of training one's external life. Okay, so we have external and internal. Okay, so this is training one's external life. The faithful parent says this is structured guidance and restraint, whether by practical guidelines for living, encouragement, reproof, or chastisement for either disobedience and or sinful attitudes, and of course is appropriate for the age of the child. Proverbs is a wonderful resource for parents and in the area of discipline. And we certainly could spend a lot of time on, on Proverbs. I'm going to read a few uh, just to kind of give you a sampling of some, of some uh, Proverbs that relate to this area of discipline. And, um, and then we'll talk about one in more detail. 
Uh, Proverbs 13, 24 says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. I have medical students that come through my office periodically, and I had one who was planning to go into pediatrics and being a, a specialist in child abuse. And we had some good discussions about spanking. She definitely thought spanking was wrong, and she talked about how it leads to child abuse and et cetera. <clears throat> and I just said to her, I said, okay, I'm a Christian, and I want you to understand something. You're going to have people in your practice who are spanking their kids, and they're going to be good parents doing it for right reasons, and here's why they're going to be doing it. And I got to read Proverbs to this unbelieving uh, medical student and say, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So just helping her to understand that there is, there is a biblical mandate here. It's not really, I shouldn't say a biblical mandate. There's biblical directives here to say that one who spares the rod hates them, okay? But he who loves them disciplines them, okay? Uh, Proverbs 19.15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself does what? Bring shame to his mother. It seems all the shame goes to the mother and all the glory goes to the father in Proverbs. I'm not sure why. <laughs> Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give you delight to your heart. That's 1917. 23.13 says, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. 1918 says, Discipline your son for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. You can see from Proverbs that discipline is held up here as a very wise thing to do. And our experience is that most parents are not familiar with Proverbs and what it says about disciplining children, and particularly with the rod. It holds up discipline, and particularly discipline with the rod, as wise. But let's caution you and say you will want to teach them how to use the rod, right? There's a reason that this young lady, this young med student, thinks spanking is wrong. And that's that many people have done it in a sinful way. Spanking and the rod have to be done in a righteous way, or there's no question. It is child abuse. We can agree on that. <clears throat> this book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, I think has a particularly good section at the end about spanking, talking about how it should be done. I mean, the most obvious thing, and oh goodness, I have some parenting memories that are painful related to this, that you should never, ever spank a child when you're angry. Forget it. It's like, if you're angry, then you do not spank a child. If we can just get that one out of the way, then that probably solves most of the problems, right? Because typically when a child is acting up, that stirs up anger in us, right? <clears throat> so... That is helpful and would uh, encourage you to use that with your parents. Um, we should mention a classic proverb that is often misinterpreted. Proverbs 22.6. Many of you probably know it. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. What is the meaning of this proverb? Any brave souls out there? Okay. Right. Okay. You're saying you're saying it's not saying if you do this, it's not an equation. A plus B equals C, but it's wisdom. Exactly. So that's very good. So it's it's this is wisdom literature, right? These aren't promises, but um, the proverb might, if you just look at it on the surface, might give suggest the idea of determinism, right? That is, if a parent just does the right things, the kids will turn out in a certain way. Okay. But there's uh, a couple of things we need to say about that. We've already established that our job is not to produce good kids. Our goal is to be faithful, right? So here's what we can say about the proverb. First, it is a proverb. It's a maxim. It's a principle that in general is true, right? So as we say, proverbs are not promises. They're general. You said it's wisdom. This is wisdom literature. So that's the first thing we'd say. And, and the second thing is, is that I, I think most, I would say, biblical authorities say that that word translated should in the proverb 
probably should, according to these biblical authorities, be translated would. Then the proverb would say, train up a child in the way he would go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And this is probably more the intended meaning of the proverb and speaks to this command to discipline a child. If we let a child go his natural, selfish, sinful way, even when he's old, he will likely not depart from that selfish and sinful way. So this leads to an important idea. Parents are often terrified that they will do something to their kids to make them turn out bad. Well, the fact is, the kids are already bad. (laughs) We don't have to make them that way. If a child turns into a reprobate, evil, rebellious child, it is not so much because what the parents do, but what they don't do that results in this type of outcome. Parents are called to discipline their children, it says right here in Ephesians, to guide them, restrain them, punish them when necessary. They are called to help them live out their own instruction as children, which comes in verses 1 through 3, just before Ephesians 6, 4. They're called to what? Do two things. What are they? Honor and obey, right? That's their two. We're to instruct, discipline and instruct. They are called to honor and obey. So we can help them through that, and we'll talk about that shortly. The second biblical directive here is instruction. Besides discipline, instruction. And the Greek word here is noothesia, right? Nos, mind. And it's to place or set in the mind. So the idea here is addressing one's internal mind and heart. This is where we're addressing the heart. The parents are to teach their children as faithfully as they can to think biblically about God, man, Satan, the world, and life. First and foremost, parents will want to teach their children, about the gospel, right? So most of us are familiar with God-man-Christ response. What a wonderful thing for parents to be thinking about just during the day as they're instructing their children, right? So God, teach them about the attributes of God. Go outside and and refer to God when we're outside enjoying ourselves in the beautiful Black Hills. Man, teach them about their sinful nature. Teach them how they, their own hearts and their actions are sinful and how they cannot please God without a Savior. Teach them about Christ. Teach them about how Christ came into the world to save sinful people like themselves and teach them about the elements of the gospel. In response, teach them appropriate response to God's wonderful gift. And then we also should instruct them on Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. They need to understand that obeying parents is right, right? Inherently right, right? It's like if a, if, if a child asks, why do I have to obey We can say, because God says so, right? God tells the child to obey. Why? So that you will live long and you'll have a good life, right? This is Proverbs, right? This is not a promise. In general, children who are obedient live longer (laughs) to live through and, and have a better life than children who don't obey, right? We might note, Teresa read Romans 1, and all of, the, all of the really bad things that are included there, wrath, malice, et cetera, et cetera, in Romans 1. Did you notice what's right in the middle of that? Disobedient to parents in Romans 1. Isn't that kind of interesting? That's another place, I think, as kids get older, you could take them and say, look, you're in Romans 1. Disobedient to parents is right there in the midst of all the rest of this stuff here. All right, so... Also help them to understand what it means to honor parents, to speak about them and to them in respectful, gracious ways, right? That's honoring. And submit to the authority of parents in their home. So instruct children 
in, in this area of understanding what God tells them. Obey and honor. Okay. All right, so those are basically the, the two biblical directives found in Ephesians 6.4. And, and then there's this caution that Paul gives. And he says, don't provoke your children to wrath. And in Colossians 3.21, he gives a, a slightly different take to that. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So how can parents provoke their children? Well, let's look at, at just a, a few examples. Actually, let me ask you. How do parents provoke their children? Okay. Being inconsistent. So criticizing, being inconsistent. Okay. Expectations. High expectations. Okay. Ignoring them. Okay. Say it again. Unfaithfulness. What do you mean by that? Okay, all right. So not being consistent, right? Okay. Okay, right. And so maybe kind of giving reflex reactions to things without maybe giving them a chance to kind of give context and listening to them. Yeah, excellent. Other ways to provoke? Impatience, yeah, for sure. Anger would go along with that. Yeah, okay. Well, those of us who are parents can, can definitely relate to these things. And unfortunately, I'm afraid there's countless ways to provoke our children that, that uh, all of us sometimes fall into. But basically, um, let me just go through. Um, this, is an, this is another book, um, The Faithful Parent, I referred to by Stuart Scott and Martha Peace. Um, he goes through in here a number of places or a number of types of parenting that would be provoking to a child. And I'll just go through a few of these as examples. I'm going to also mention, because <clears throat> I love his preaching. Some of you might be familiar with Martin Lloyd-Jones and all of his sermons. He's a guy that was from the um, 1900s. And um, <clears throat> he, he has like 300 sermons on Ephesians or something, and they all went online last year. And so if you go in, he has a whole sermon about not provoking your children that is so awesome <clears throat> that I would commend that to you. Anyway, the proud parent, the parent that always has to be right, that will not admit when they are wrong, the one who won't stand for their children to question anything and doesn't feel any need to explain anything to their children. <coughs> We've read a lot of parenting books through the years, and oh, we look back now, and you know, a lot of them were not, I mean, most of them were not biblical. We didn't know any better. But I remember one. It was like, if your child asks why they need to do something, you answer, because I said so. And that's all you said, and that was the end of the conversation. That kind of goes to what you were saying, right? It's like you're not getting, I mean, they're asking, a, if they're asking a good question, you want to you answer it, and I, and I think that's a proud parent that might be saying that. How do you counsel a parent like that? James 4, 6 might be a place you could go. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Um, this, this is a booklet that's used in a, a lot of things in biblical counseling. It's Stuart Scott's Pride and Humility. It, it's, a, it's a chapter out of a book he wrote called The Exemplary Husband, but it's used, it can be used for both men and women. And um, a really useful tool. This could be used for the proud parent. And um, he has a... a it's nice he has a, a kind of a, a rating thing uh, at the beginning and just goes through so well the biblical approach to dealing with pride and toward the goal of humility. That would be a useful tool to use on that. How about the controlling angry parent, overly authoritative parents? They use angry words, we mentioned that, in a harsh, ugly tone of voice to bully their children into behaving in a certain way. This is the, it's my way or the highway parent. How about counseling these parents with James 1.19? Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Or Ephesians 4.31.32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Boy, 
kids need forgiveness, but boy, we as parents need forgiveness too, don't we? Goodness gracious. And we certainly want to ask our kids for forgiveness when it's necessary, which is often the case if you're like me. So be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, right? As God in Christ forgave you. So for the controlling angry parent, the book we gave away there by David Pallison, Good and Angry, is a, is a much more in-depth resource on that. How about the must-be-perfect parent? Somebody mentioned this. They promote a standard that is impossible to reach. They expect their children what they could never do themselves. <laughs> I've, anybody been there? I've been there. This is the it-is-never-good-enough parent. It's obvious that this is going to provoke wrath in kids. The parents are being hypocrites, Right? They're like the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 4, that tie up heavy burdens and lay them on their shoulders, but are not willing to move them with their finger. They fail to encourage their children because they are focused on minor imperfections. We might look at Matthew 7 and have them do a log list on this. There's many places you could go with that. So these are some examples of ways that, that parents can provoke their children. Like I say, they're countless and some ways that you might counsel them. So obviously, when we, when we look at the discipline and instruction of children, it changes profoundly, right? This is one of the things that keeps us so humble as parents. You know, we're going along, and we kind of got to figure it out, and all of a sudden, they get older. <laughs> it's like, whoa, okay, what I was doing two years ago doesn't apply at all. So um, as you go through, discipline is going to look way different for a two-year-old than a 12-year-old, Right? And instruction is going to look way different for a two-year-old than a 12-year-old. And again, this, the faithful parent here goes through the different, kind of the different stages and talks about what does discipline look like, uh, what does instruction look like at the different stages, and that might be a useful resource to refer to. And uh, what we're talking about, books, the, you know, there, there's lots of good books out there. I think for us, these are, are two that have risen up just because they are biblical. Um, they're, I don't... I don't know, maybe you guys could say but uh, something about it, but I, I'm not aware of anything that really isn't biblical in these, and, and they're good directives, and just practical, again, the spanking thing and shepherding a child's heart is useful. I think one more resource that we really liked that we mentioned in the earlier class is the Age of Opportunity by Paul Tripp. That's a good one, too. For, yeah, especially for teens, so... So if we were to go back and redo parenting, what would we do? Well, again, I, I, I just want to make a caveat. I, I hope I wasn't hard in my examples on homeschooling. We, we, we did enjoy that. And, and we personally would choose that again because that was what we, we enjoyed, where it's not a, not a biblical thing. I mean... Parents have freedom to choose uh, what they, how they want to school their child. But I wanted to just say that that it's not the homeschooling itself; <laughs> it's some of the resources that we got into because of it. Um, but what would we do? Um, well, with what we know, we we would think that it would be less daunting because God's instruction to parents is pretty straightforward. So we would first understand that God's word and not parenting books or schooling gurus. Um, our, God's word is what we need to please God in the area of parenting. So we would be aware of our child's greatest problem, which is sin, and focus on their greatest need, redemption. And we would remind ourselves that faithfulness is the goal. We'd look to discipline our children toward godliness and instruct them in the ways of the Lord and take every opportunity to point out their need of a savior and point them to the savior. And yeah. Yeah, so uh, those, those are basically, as we thought about our parenting journey and um, you know, some of the mistakes we made, some of the directions that were, were fairly good and then some places that we stumbled. Um, if we just did focus on that the Bible is the source and that a child's problem is sin, that is their problem and they need regeneration. And then 
focusing on that goal of faithfulness, it's like somehow, I mean, I, I would have liked to have known this as I was raising my kids because it's like somehow that takes pressure off, right? I mean, you can be faithful. If you're trying to produce a saved child, if you're trying to produce a successful child, there's so much pressure. What if I do it wrong? And then the kid, but it's faithfulness, right? We are called before God to be faithful and carry out the instruction that he gives us, which is to discipline, to instruct, and then not provoke. And when we do that, then when we're when we're counseling parents, and even in kind of extreme circumstances like this, oh, this young lady that, that Teresa counseled, that, that mom, even though she is in a really difficult situation, can still be faithful, right? I mean, th- th- this is the kind of situation that, that, that seems like a nightmare to a parent, right? But she can still be faithful. And we can help her, and Teresa has been helping this lady to be faithful to God. Before God, she can be faithful and can be a successful parent, even in the midst of a child that's been captivated by that. And she is a faithful mom. She does need a lot of encouragement because of her past failure. And I think maybe your parents, as well as yourselves, might all need encouragement as well. And so just a reminder that God, he instructs us and convicts us in his word, but he's also the comforter. And we can also go to him with our sin. We can repent of where we have fallen short. We can do that with our children. I know we have. We probably can still do that even though they're adults. Um, and we do. But I loved that verse that J.O. shared um, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's a good place to end right there. Let's pray. Mm-hmm. Father, where we are again, uh, so thankful for your word that directs us, even in the daunting task of parenting. Lord, help us to look to your word to guide us, and uh, that we would have the goal of being faithful uh, parents, uh, faithful followers uh, of uh, you, and. Uh, We just raise up all we've learned today. We pray that it would be for your glory and for everyone's good. Amen.